this is someone's true horror story. I really hate it when people come up to me and they're like, oh, I dated a Dirty John. And I'm like, no, you didn't. Dirty John is someone that I had to kill in self-defense. Imagine making thousands, tens of thousands, millions of dollars. People are making a lot of money off of other people's suffering. And what are they getting at? What goes through your mind when you think of these fans who are so excited to talk about murder? They've got their nails done with blood splatter on them. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Moving Past Murder. I know you're used to hearing Collier Landry right off the top of these shows, and this show is a little bit different. My name is Christine O'Donnell. I am a veteran journalist and podcast producer, and I'll be guest hosting this episode of Moving Past Murder. This episode was inspired by a Reddit post that was shared in a CrimeCon 2022 Facebook group titled, My Thoughts on True Crime Podcasts as a Victim. I'm going to read for you some excerpts from that post. But before I do, I want to share a disclaimer that this episode will discuss sexual abuse and rape and may be difficult for some listeners. This is an episode that is not for little ears, and we want we will be adding resources in the show notes. So the post starts off with the following. Quote, I was abducted and raped in 2012. My name wasn't released since I was a child, but that doesn't mean that people don't know about my experience. My story has been in at least four podcasts without my permission, she says. One of the worst things is when people request my story to podcasts as their, quote, favorite story or something fun to listen to while working out or this super crazy story. She continues to say, my brave story isn't your 20 minutes of fun. It was my 12 days of terror. She says, I do not want to be your next true crime obsession or your new favorite story. We victims, she says, are often pushed to the side for the glorification of our abusers. And it feels like I'm re-victimized every time. So I read this article, this post, Collier read this, and we wanted to do this podcast coming up on CrimeCon, which is a true crime convention happening in Las Vegas as this episode is being released, actually. Um, So we are doing this episode on trauma-informed true crime. So if you are a true crime fan, If you are somebody who 
it gets excited by true crime, loves true crime, has ever wanted to approach a victim and ask them about their story, we talk about how to do that in this episode. So in this episode of Moving Past Murder, you will hear from true crime survivors about the pros and cons of being the subject of the content true crime fans love. You'll hear from Kara Robinson Chamberlain. She is the subject of the Oxygen documentary, Escaping Captivity, The Kara Robinson Story. You'll hear from Tara Newell, one of the main players in the podcast and TV series, Dirty John. And last but not least, you will hear from your regular host of Moving Past Murder, Collier Landry, who is the subject of A Murder in Mansfield. Before we continue, I do want to share that I have a four-year-old son, and he was home with the flu during this recording. And it was a live recording, and there were a number of times where he just came in and started pulling on cords. So you may notice some audio issues or camera issues if you're watching this on YouTube. And I just want to let you know that is likely the cause. And I do want to share my apologies, not only to the audience, but also to these wonderful guests. Without further ado, here is more from your regular host, Collier Landry. What's up, everybody? I'm Collier Landry. Welcome to this live episode of Moving Past Murder Before Crime Con. And uh, I have some amazing guests who are going to introduce themselves. Well, I'm Tara Newell, best known from the Dirty John series. And I have been on Collier's podcast before. So I hope you guys have tuned into that episode. Hi, my name is Kara Robinson Chamberlain. When I was 15, I was kidnapped from my best friend's front yard at gunpoint by a man who held me captive for 18 hours until I was able to escape from him and lead law enforcement back to him, at which time he was soon after um, identified as a person that was responsible for at least three other murders in a different state. So I escaped a serial killer. And you all know Collier. And hi, everyone. I'm Christine O'Donnell. I am honored to be guest hosting this uh, special episode of Moving Past Murder. Thank you so much for having me, Collier. What would you want fans to know when they show up to this convention? Um, I'll start, we'll start with you, Collier. Well, I think for me, uh, I think that so I mean, I guess all of us were pretty much children <laughs> when all of this stuff happened. I mean, I'm probably the youngest, and then I would say Kira, and then obviously Tara. Um, so it's an interesting perspective to have for this. But I think for me, I, I've i been dealing with my trauma probably the longest, right? And so for me, it's so second age, and I'm 44, so it's been, what, 20, 32 years that I've been dealing with this. So for me, it's just kind of old hat. I think for people where it's much fresher, in their minds, I think like somebody like Tara, who this happened, what Tara, this happened, what, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, like, something? Six years ago in August. Exactly. So it's like, it's very new for you still. And it's, um, you know, I think that the way that you, there's such a fandom with this. And this is something that I did not realize when I made a murder in Mansfield. And when I went to like regular film festivals, it, people would talk to me, but it was, I was at a film festival. Now, this is something where I'm going to a crime convention where people are into true crime. And Kira, you were just sharing with me 
the photographs of like people's nails and outfits and things of that nature. There's just this obsession that with true crime that I really have a hard time understanding. Like, and a lot of people think it's a Schadenfreude of the situation, but also people think that it could be just you know, you know or, or Schadenfreude or just just a, a general obsession of like being prepared. Or what if this happened to me? What would I do? It's it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to live in. It's to live in it as yourself, but to, ha to have to make that conscious choice that you want to live in that world is very interesting to me, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> it's I. We're both like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. <laughs> yeah, I think minute. I think for um, a lot of people who may not have experienced a significant trauma, for them it is almost like exposure therapy where they can listen to all of these things and try to figure out if they might be able to identify a serial killer right if they may be able to predict themselves from becoming a victim right or or i feel like that that feels to me like a lot of the consumer base of true crime is people that are either trying to understand why perpetrators do the bad things that they do or they're trying to prevent sure. themselves from becoming victims and I, that feels like what i've seen and what i've experienced um but it is it's very interesting to me because i don't consume it you know i've been having these conversations around how to produce and consume trauma-informed true crime content and and i regularly get people who ask me well what are some podcasts that you do recommend I'm like i don't listen to any of them i don't consume it because i've lived it right like, do you guys consume any of that kind <laughs> of content? Been there, done that. No. Only your guys' stuff. Like, when I see someone's story, you know, like, I went and watched Collier's documentary, and I watched Kara's uh, documentary, and that, because I met you guys, and then I was like, I want to know their story, and I don't want them to have to go through it all and, like, tell me. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> Same. Yeah. Same. It's so, so Tara or Christine, so, so Tara, Christine, you want Tara to sort of give her because you're by the, now, Cara, have you been through, have you been to, to crime con yourself? I haven't. I'm going this year. I have a lot of friends oh, who have been, so I've heard all the things. So we're noobs. So we should need, we need to connect for her and we can yeah. have a moment where we can both just breathe and not talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bubble. underneath me so I'm trying not to have anxiety um so uh, uh Collier of course your documentary is a murder in Mansfield Tara you have been um featured in uh, Dirty John the podcast Dirty John or I, I guess I can't say featured but your story has been featured in Dirty John the podcast and um Dirty John the tv show um and so, so as two newbies that are sitting here, Tara, what would you say to us going into CrimeCon? Because you just went a few, what, 2019, I believe, and you spoke, correct? Yeah, so I was a speaker there. Um, that room was crazy. I think there was like 800 people in there and it was intense. But here's the thing about CrimeCon. I love the people that 
throw it on because they want to put on something and teach people about the education and whatnot. But it's really important for survivors, victims, anyone to just have like a time to decompress. And that was something that I didn't get when I was a speaker. Uh, we literally went from speaking at this thing to a luncheon to a meet and greet. And there was nowhere in between where I was able to just be like, okay, I'm processing what's going on because, you know, I'm there to talk about my own trauma. And so you have to process things when after you're done talking about it, but instead you're being bombarded by people and I love them, but, um, I went to Paley Fest and it was funny because I went to Walking Dead panel and they were like, don't run up because you're going to be like zombies to them. And it kind of, for, for me, it kind of was like zombies just like <laughs> crowding you. And for me, I have to like give myself a minute to calm down my system and tell myself like these people are safe. And sure. so, you know, I think. I was really appreciative of everyone that I met, but just, you know, if you see someone sitting down and they're eating, you know, maybe wait till they're done eating. (laughs) Yeah, that, I mean, I will say that brings an important point that I would kind of piggyback off of what you said, because I do a lot of public speaking and keynote speaking and something I've only necessarily recognized within myself once I started making friends with others, public survivors is that like compassion fatigue, that vulnerability fatigue that afterwards, I mean, you kind of, whenever your body starts to slow down, it feels a little bit like you've been hit by a truck because even though you may be healed from your healed, right. You may be healed from your trauma or you may be coping well with your trauma. uh, Your body still recognizes that physiologically, even though your brain may not be checking into it. Your body, when you talk about it, still feels that trauma. So for anyone who is at CrimeCon and maybe, you know, just have that in mind whenever you're going to these meet and greets that these people have just very viscerally relived one of the worst moments, probably the worst moment of their life and that their body is very much coping with that in a very real way. Yeah, I mean, I can feel it, you know, I, I, so I was just interviewing somebody before this about, uh, he, his name is Dr. Angel Iskovich, and he wrote a book called The Art of Routine. And I was discussing one of, you know, one of the reasons why I want to talk to him is I had this, you know, it's, I feel that routine is a very integral part of trauma recovery or trauma survival. And when I get thrown out of my routine, which I currently am, <laughs> just because I've been traveling, shooting, working a lot, and uh, kind of back in that flow. And then I get thrown off like my exercise regimen or my just just that sort of self-care moments, that just natural sort of breath that you can take, right? Yeah. And and I think that people need to recognize that like, yes, we understand that you are you are interested in what we have to say and that you have, that you are genuinely empathetic to what we've gone through. You're not like, oh boy, you yeah. know, but still like just slow your roll, dude. slow your roll a little bit and just, you know, let, let me finish my salad or, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that it, it, but I also think that that's, that is new, even it's interesting because, and I'm very, I'm very curious to see what those reactions will be, especially you and I are going to be 
newbies to this, right? And I'm just going as a guest. I'm not going as a, as a speaker or anything. But I'm wondering, like, you know, when you go and you go to a, first of all, I guess my thing is how many people are going to be there? That's always, that's in the back of my head. The second thing is, is like, if you saw celebrities, for example, the Walking Dead panel at Paley Center, Paley Fest, which is a great festival, um, would you, like, would you bum rush uh, Norman Reedus and be like, oh my God, no, you wouldn't. Or his bodyguard would jump in the way and be like, like, slow your roll, there's a line, you can talk to them, be respectful. And I think that there, I think that because of the lines are so blurred with that in, in true crime, I feel this is just my uh, guesstimation, if you will, that uh, those boundaries are, are blurred. And so they just are, are very much in, oh my God, I can't believe you went through this. And it's, it's, yeah. it's like, yeah, I did just <laughs> back off a little bit. Yeah. I think there's also like this implied, um, companionship and just because of our authenticity and our vulnerability right when you share something so vulnerable people are like oh I know you I I understand you and that's fine that's I feel like that's why I share I I mean I feel like that's why a lot of us share so that people can see themselves in our story and maybe be inspired or um, want to get tips about how to heal whatever but um, but yeah it is so important that we maintain our routine because it's like that predictability it's what keeps us level and no like I don't have any routine routine leading up to travel and when I'm traveling like I don't work out <laughs> like I I try but it's just everything gets thrown off you're absolutely right yeah yeah well and I think it's also like the body when we're put into these situations we're reminded of our fight and flight mode and stuff and we're like when we're eating and stuff and you're in fight or flight mode and these people come up, your body actually can't digest the food. Your body has to stop the digestive system and like go to being high on high alert. So it's like the body like won't allow yourself to rest when these people are around also, unfortunately. That's an interesting point. Yeah. 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 There's all these physiological processes that basically anything other than survival your body diverts energy away from those things so like digestion um is definitely one of those things but there's a lot of other things that come with it so also an important thing to keep in mind yeah that we are doing absolutely that. and so how, tara how many people could we expect because you just said it in a room of 800 people and i'm like because i keep trying to think is it going to be like 2000 3000 you know comic con you know is like a hundred hundreds of thousands of people when I was there 10 years ago, it was like 157,000 people. I was there as a working and I was like, okay. it was, it was packed. I mean, it was, you, you couldn't move. It was insane. Well, so I can't, is, I, I don't. Yeah. Well, it's different now because of like COVID, but. Um, sure. Sure. So I, I went to Comic-Con this like three, six months ago, whenever the last one was. Sure. So I have like that experience. So I'm how many do you think are at, at crime con? How many, how many people do you think are at crime con? How many attendees do they have? You think? Oh my gosh. I'm thousands. Yeah. I just I, remember walking down the, or going down the escalator and there, it was just like jam packed everywhere. Oh, wow. Okay. So a lot of people. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I think a friend um, said that I think their most recent estimate was like 5,000 people, I think. And then that doesn't count like people like us who are guests or speakers and vendors and podcasters. So 
a lot. Wow. What goes through your mind when you think of these fans who are so excited to talk about murder and other crazy, intense, triggering things so much so that they've got their nails done with blood splatter on them? A lot. <laughs> That's a lot to process. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say I was talking about this in my Instagram stories a few days ago, and I actually got a message from someone. I, I got a lot of great messages and great responses because basically what I was saying is, I talk about these things because I'm strong enough to handle things. It doesn't, it doesn't trigger me, see it. And I think, oh, maybe not in the best taste, but it doesn't trigger me. But I talk about it for people who may be six months out from their trauma and sharing, or, you know, maybe triggered by those things. And so while I did get a lot of positive response, I also got a response from someone who said, well, how is this any different than like the horror genre? Because it attracts the same type of people kind of, right? Like, and I said, okay, I see that sure. and I will raise it, but horror is fiction, That's right? This is- element of fantasy. It's complete fantasy and fiction. You're out of your yeah. mind. Oh my right. goodness. Like, but That's this delusional. is someone's true horror story. Like this is something that happened. I think very often people can get caught up in listening to these stories. So like, almost like they get des desensitized because they listen to so much of it and they forget that they're at the core of these stories are actual humans who went through something horrific. And on that yeah. note, are there things that people should not say when they see you? I'll, I'll go with this one. So I really hate it when people come up to me and they're like, oh, I dated a dirty John. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You may have been like someone that was a womanizer, but Dirty John is someone that I had to kill in self-defense. So like, and I know that that's a huge thing is to say, oh, I've been with a Dirty John. And for me, it's so different because, I mean, I've been in terrible situations where I dated guys, but I don't call them Dirty Johns. I call them by their name. I call an abuser by their name and that's what people should do. That's a good point. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I could picture like merchandise with that slogan on it though, Tara, which like makes me feel so uncomfortable. Well, I mean, but that should be my right to discuss yes. with, like, his victims, you know, and there's like his ex-wife and my mom that I'd be like, you know, how would this make you feel? And if they were okay with that, that's a different story, but there's, People have to realize that we went through the trauma and it's our personal trauma and it's so much bigger than the story that they're just reading or watching on the news or TV. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like, uh, you know, and, and this is, I, I think we're going to you know, probably lead us into another discussion, but sort of the thing that I think about is the commerce of it all. Like I look at the tickets and I go, okay, that VIP experience ticket is like $1,700 to go to extra like three seminars, you know, the minimum ticket is like 300 or 400 bucks, right? All the money that full, flows in for food, this, that, it's a lot of money that this thing makes. Mm -hmm. And they don't pay the speakers or anything like that as far as I know. And I think that um, 
yeah, the, the commerce is what always disturbs me. And just like you, like Christine just said, you know, uh, I mean, you, know, you almost see it as a merchandise thing. Like, oh, I, I'm, I'm with it. I was with a dirty John. Could be a T-shirt that somebody would have on, you know. And you see that, and you'd be like, really, bro? Like, are you serious? Yeah. I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to make a shirt, and I, I still, I have every right to wear it. But I wanted to say my father murdered my mother, and all I got was his fucking T-shirt, <laughs> which is, which is true. <laughs> but the which, people which were like, like the, the, the dark humor side of it, right? <laughs> which is the dark humor because I have a dark sense of humor. I'm a sort of a, you know, uh, uh, I'm kind of like that, you know. But, you know, I was, I'm sardonic. So was my mother, by the way. So my mother would probably think it was funny, you know, uh, <laughs> God rest her soul. But the thing is, is that when I initially said that to some people, they were like, how dare you? Do you understand how upsetting that is? And I was like, do you understand how upsetting it is that it's the truth that I'm, I would wear a t-shirt that would say the, the truth? Do you understand how upsetting that is for me that I have every right to wear them? And they're like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. I just yeah. thought about, oh, that's something. And I was like, well, yeah, I was like, that's the point. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. point of wearing the t-shirt is to say something that is so shocking that you, yeah. <laughs> that you you're like, looking at it's it. It's like a visual like, shaking someone, right? Yeah. How, how dare, like, how <laughs> dare you, how dare you have that t-shirt? I was like, I have a right to this t-shirt because it happened right. to me. Right. And, and, and my point was even in a greater sense was like, you know, you think about like, all I got was a fucking t-shirt. Like, okay. Like there are people whose stories are exploited that companies make thousands upon thousands of dollars. That convention makes thousands, tens of thousands, millions of dollars. People are making a lot of money off of other people's suffering. And what do they get in the end? What do they really get? They get some exposure. They get a sense of thing. I mean, even think about like, and this is not me conventionally because I did, I did my documentary because it was my natural process of dealing with what I did with, it was my idea. You know, I approached all the people involved and said, this is what I wanted to do. Um, but I, like I made the least amount of money of any room. And it's like, that's, it wasn't about money. It was about telling the story and connecting with people and putting that to bed, that chapter for me, it's why I moved to Los Angeles. It's why I became a filmmaker, but it's interesting when you think about like when these things, I mean, I'm sure that has made investigation discovery, a lot of money. Yes, they put the money up for it. They paid for it, all of that. But it's interesting to think about the commerce of all of this. And this it, 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 brought, it calls that into question. Like you just said, the horror genre, for example, that is something that is, it, it, you know, generates, you know, horror movies will always make money. And you think about, oh, well, what is it? Different? Well, this is different because this actually happened. And almost you think about like if these stories are made and if somebody has a horror film that is based on their real life. Like if you put true crime into a horror context, right? If you were making a film or a thing, would people get paid differently or would people get compensated for those stories differently? Obviously a writer of a horror film is gonna get paid a WGA rate or whatever their agent negotiates for them. When we write our own stories by living our lives, do we like we get out of it? It's just, it's, it's interesting to think about, but I'm, I talk too much, so I'm gonna let you ladies <laughs> speak more. Do you have I do. Yeah. Well, I just I think you bring up an interesting point about sharing your own story on your own and like taking ownership of that. And there are also so many people out there who may be sharing your story without your consent or without your knowledge, yeah. or they may be sharing it in a way that you would really rather they didn't, or it might've been nice if they reached out to you in some way for a comment or something. So um, I feel like this is a great opportunity to talk a little bit about the consent <laughs> conversation. Absolutely. Um, 
And, and it also prevents it also prevents victim shaming. That's the thing that a lot of people will look at these situations very easily on their own high horse and say, well, that person was doing that. Oh, because they wanted money. So they married this person because he was rich. And then of course he was a sociopath. And like, I remember my, I remember people saying about my mother, oh, she wouldn't get a divorce from him because of the money. Cause your dad was a doctor and he was making money. And I'm like, that's absurd. Like they were together for over 20 years, almost 25 years. And my mother paid for him to go to medical school. Like my mother is the one who put him through medical school. You know what I mean? Uh, so there are these things that people make these snap judgments and that's what infuriates me more than anything. And that's when you take control of your story. But yeah, I digress. You guys go for it. I, similar to you Collier, I, um, I wanted to tell my own story. So I found a document a team that I, you know, production company I wanted to work with. And I was involved in every step of the process. And I will tell you, I did not get paid that much, like you said. Um, oh, yeah. And I did that because I wanted my story to be told in a way that felt genuine to my experience and in a way that I would be proud of because it was my experience every time I had told my story in other means. So whether it was, um, you know, like a, an interview for um, a television show or, or whatever, there was always this moment where the, you know, the executive producer, whoever was interviewing me would say, okay, now can you tell me about this? And can you inject a little more emotion when you talk about this? And, you know, they wanted to kind of sensationalize it and make it um, more easily sold, I guess. And so for me, that felt very disingenuine. And so that's why I wanted to tell my story. So, um, so, and I also wanted to have something that I could point people back to when they say, oh, Kara, who is she? I could say, okay, well, here's my documentary. Please go watch it, get an idea of what happened. And so that was my first step into going into, you know, doing more public speaking, more advocacy work, things like that. But yeah, there's been a lot of people who have shared my story. And for me, again, it's not triggering for me, but when you have podcasts that are for-profit podcasts that are telling my story, that's problematic. I mean, and it's not, it is not about the money for me. Like it genuinely is not. But at the end of the day, I'm going to call a spade a spade. If you are telling my story, which is my victimization, and you are getting paid for telling my story, that is exploitation. And that is a problem. That's all it's there a problem. is a problem. And I, and I, you know, I, I started thinking about this after I interviewed Tara, because I know how successful, like now Dirty John is a franchise, if you will, you know, Netflix, I believe owns the property. And you think about that. And then she was saying, you know, our story became public and you and her, her and her mother's um, agenda with doing the podcast was to, was for awareness. My agenda for making the documentary was awareness. You for your telling your story, Cara, same thing to yeah. awareness. And, and and to let people and also to share this the side of the fact that you can come through these extraordinary circumstances these insurmountable odds and come out the other side okay and that's what is inspiring to people but for other people it's like i start looking at like they'll have there's a patreon account that is the most successful and there's a true crime related patreon account they make a million dollars a month and i'm thinking when they talk about these stories do they take like 10 percent of their profits like you would tithe to a church and don't and put it in a kitty. So one point two million dollars a year goes into a kitty, and then all the stories of the people they talk to, they reach out to them and say, "We'd either like to give you this money, or we would like to give this to a charity or support your foundation. Do you have a nonprofit 
we would like to contribute to your nonprofit because you have contributed to our profit, our for-profit. You know what I mean? And I think that there's things, it's, it's the same reason why for years I refused to watch college sports because I refused to watch the NCAA and, and companies like Starter, Nike, blah, 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 profit off these kids with this misguided representation that a college degree somehow buys you a, a job and a life and a career that you want because that's complete bullshit. <laughs> so it's the same sort of thing. That, that's why, and you can see how upset I'm getting because that's probably my yeah. biggest trigger is the exploitation factor of all of it. And even though like I look at myself on the witness stand at 12 years old in 1990, testifying against my father on television, in the paper, this, that, and the other, you know, the television station wasn't anything until this trial happened, until they have a kid on the witness stand, which doesn't happen anymore. Not that I'm angry about it or anything, but I think about like, you couldn't exploit a child that way. And thank God you can't do that anymore. And I didn't care. I was going to tell the story. I'm happy I did it. You know, I wanted that information out there, but it's interesting. It's just, it just poses these interesting questions, but I'm going to let Tara speak because I got, you know. <laughs> I got to cool off. <laughs> I'm like, where, where do I start? Right? Well, consent. Consent in consent. podcasting I, and. Well, so my, mine was complicated. I was so fortunate to come from a wealthier family. And my sister had a lawyer on everything. So any story that came out about me at first, cease and desist. Um, and then it, was kind of funny because my we got contacted by the LA Times and stuff. And because we did that story, our story became public information. And so they were able to use that and sell our story rights. And it kind of sucked because before the LA Times was going bankruptcy and then yeah. they put out this podcast and then it puts them back on the map and now the podcast has 74 million listens and it just really sucked because when they sold the story I was like well I'm gonna take my story and go sell it and they were like well you could do that but we already sold it to a network and it's getting made and everything so you could do that and I could do a different story but Bravo oh, that infuriates me for it. you yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Can I so, ask who you had that conversation with? Um so Atlas Entertainment produced it. Um and they also got me there because I'm a huge like DC fan and I read comic books. I'm a huge like Harley Quinn fan and I feel like I relate to Harley Quinn because I'm just like doing things and then somehow I'm okay. <laughs> um but like they were the producers of Suicide Squad. And so I was so excited. I love Margot Robbie. I love all those actors. And so I was like fangirling over the producers that were taking it in. But I talked to um, my friend Jason at Silver State Production in Vegas. And then he told me, basically, you could go get an agent. But since it's already in production, it's just, you're kind of screwed. Um, so I'll be honest with the amount that I got. I got a hundred grand for selling my story rights, which the actor that played me didn't, she made well more than that. Um, the show made well more than that. Any actor on the show um, made around that or, you know, it depends on what part they 
got but you know if they're like a main actor on the show they're making well beyond that amount um if you're just like a daytime part that's different you know but still a good amount of money um so I went into it just kind of being coerced into the situation in a sense and having to say yes to this opportunity and I'm very thankful that they showed my story the way that they shown it um and that they included me in my attack and everything but it should be my story to go shop and sell and then I should be not having to worry financially you know what how am I going to pay for therapy how am I going to pay for this yeah exactly I think the public information thing is so tricky because I've been talking I, I a lot of what I do is social media based. And I've been talking with people on social media regularly about this. And they're like, well, your story is public information. Anyone can share it. And I liken that to, okay, well, that's sort of the same thing as saying, oh, 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 that girl was wearing a short skirt. So she was asking for it. Right. I'm like, do you not see how those are the same things? Like just consent one time doesn't equal consent always also. Right. So it's like, just because it's out there doesn't mean that it's for you to consume or use, right? Like, and people just don't seem to get it. Oh, it's public information. Anyone can use it. It's not. Or they're bound, or they're, there's these blurred lines, like you just said. Oh, right. she was wearing a skirt, short skirt. She was asking for it. So that when she was climbing up in the tree, the paparazzi took a picture of her. She was wearing no panties. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they would, if they did that to someone, they would. The, the, a lawyer would be it would be yeah. Mark Garagos in a fist fight with other lawyers trying to get that case to just rake the LA Times over the coals. So why is that any different than exploiting someone who's gone through this traumatic experience, especially like Tara, who had to do something that was so out of character for her to save her own life? You know what I mean? And it's like why why is that okay? But that's not okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it's because it's it's this it's the actress that even Julia Garner is climbing the tree, and that's what happened. You know what I mean? It, it's so it's it's so interesting. But again, it goes back to this like analogy that I used of the college sports for a long time, and I believe the athletes are getting um, you know compensated now. But you know, for a long time, they were made money. Go oh, because they're getting a free education. Well, we all know that that's just bullshit. <laughs> it does you no good. First of all, and second of all, it's like. Okay, you know, you're, they're just exploit. It's just, it's so exploitative. And that's the infuriating thing. And it's like, there that I feel like that needs to sort of change. And obviously, it's going to be decreasing revenues for companies that are these yeah. large podcasting companies that are putting all this money behind it. I mean, I am so I am so intrigued to see to see how all this goes down in less than 48 hours. I mean, I'm going to be talking to people about my podcast. And but I, I'm, you know, I'm going to be talking to people that are making millions of dollars and they haven't, you know, I mean, not to be a dick about it, but they haven't been through shit. <laughs> you're a fan and you're talking about something and you're talking about other people's suffering and you've, and, and here I am like scrapping out as a filmmaker, you know, here's, here's Tyra doing her thing. Here's you're doing your thing. And then these people are just profiting so much money. And it's like, oh, that's very interesting. It's very, very interesting. I feel like it'll change though. I think, I feel like if people start speaking up about this yeah. victims, I think victims rights, I think it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, you can exploit a prisoner story in the United States, you know, look at hurricane Carter. Yeah. I think, you know, I think people, the people want to do 
what is right. I think we're living in a world where people are trying to be conscious consumers. So it's like sure. the perfect time to be having these conversations because people Absolutely. want to be consciously consuming content. And when we're bringing these things up, people like us that, especially when you're a public survivor, like we're public figures, we're not hard to find. So I see no excuse yeah. why you couldn't just shoot me a message on anywhere. Like I have a website, it's my name. If you Googled me, it came up, right? right? right. So like, me too. like there's so not a there's, lot of colliers in the world. Right. Like, so, so I don't know. I think I just don't find any excuse for not at least shooting a message. Hey, I'm doing this podcast or story or whatever. So, so yeah. is that what you would recommend podcasters do? Because I, I also feel like there are, there are people who are in the podcasting world who aren't necessarily journalists, but they are really smart. They're really good interviewers. They're really great storytellers. They don't necessarily have the dream chain training that some journalists might have. Um, but again, there are some journalists who get it wrong. So, um, so how would you recommend people approach you or approach sharing a story that might be about you? Do it Kara. with consent. Do it with consent. That's, that's my, my thing. And, you know, one of the pushbacks that we, that we often get when we say these things is uh, one of two things. It's either well, I'm a journalist or I'm in media, you know, I'm in news agency and we can't compensate for stories, right? Which is, that's garbage. I'm sorry, if you're going to make money off of me, you know, that's garbage. Um, or, well, if we pay you, then we'll have to pay everyone. It's like, yeah, oh, that's yeah, the point. I love that excuse. That's the point. I'm sorry. That is but the it, point. Right. Like, and it's, it's not about the money, but if you are making, if you have a for-profit way that you are telling stories, then you need to have a line item set aside for paying the people whose stories you're talking about or donating to a cause or whatever it is. And I think the podcasters, the true crime people who are producing it trauma informed, that's what they do. Well, for me personally, you could reach out Instagram, email, anything and typically I respond. I just don't respond on some days because, you know, some days we get in our like trauma holes and, you know, you don't have to talk to anyone that day. And so, but I eventually always get back to that person if they always ask about a project. And I hate it when like they tag you on Instagram later. After it's and, done. <laughs> yeah, after it's done. And they're like, hey, can you promote my stuff because you're in it? And I'm like, well, I wasn't really involved in it. So no, not really. I apologize for tagging you without contacting you first. Oh well, no, you're fine. No, it's the people that like make your story and then they like promote it. And then you're like, what is this? And then it's like, well, one of the cases, like someone tagged me in, a ghost hunting YouTube video of John and I, I freaked out on them because I was like first of all you don't need to go fuck with his or mess with his spirit um we could just let it be we don't need to do anything involving that and like how dare you to not even ask me first but yeah. no anything that I'm involved in please tag me in that but yeah. if you do something about me and I'm not aware of it please don't tag me in it. Yeah, and the ghost hunting thing. That's that's very well. Ugh. Ugh. That that wouldn't sit well with me either. 
Um, is there anyone out there who's doing it right where you're like, I love how they're covering these stories. I appreciate what they're doing. I'm so glad they did it that way. Is there anybody you want to shout out? I'll, I'll shout out. I'll shout out first degree, Alexis Linkletter, Jack Van Dyck, um, Billy Jensen. Like they contacted me. I mean, and, and they, you know, I become friendly with Alexis and I, I think they're, I think they're really approaching it. I mean, Billy has an extensive background in German journalism and uh, you know, I, I think they're really, they're really doing it right. I think they're, you know, they, they are, they're also very compassionate about the stories and they were really sensitive with my story. And, and, you know, I think I, I had a great experience with them. So I, I'll give them a shout out for sure. Go ahead. I love Alexis. Oh, and then um, I feel like we both have the same person to say, but Sarah Turney. Yeah. She's yeah, amazing. She, yes, she, um, she actually has uh, a budget in which she compensates people um, and or donates to a cause or, or whatever. Um, Actually, I met Ashley Flowers last weekend at the event that I was at as well. And someone was asking her how she takes cases. And she was saying, you know, she takes cases where she can get consent or she can give back in some way. So again, I don't consume these things, but I, I know Sarah's heart and I know Ashley's heart for why they do what they do. And so I feel like those are, those are decent um, suggestions. Yeah, uh, Sarah Turning for Voices for Justice podcast. Yeah. Google's always your friend. Yeah, she does <laughs> um, disappearances on Spotify as well. Yeah, and she was on my podcast too. And I just loved her vibe because everybody, everyone of like my true crime survivor um, advocates and fans and whatever sent me her. And they're like, you need to listen to her and connect with her. So I was like, I did and I loved it and I love her. Yeah. And she's willing to learn. She's willing to like, listen and learn too. Um, So if she makes a mistake, like she owns up to it. So I'll also give a shout out to Chris Hansen, who was just on my program. You know, I've, I've been a fan of Chris's work. He's won 10 Emmys uh, with to catch a predator just because it's raised such awareness. Um, It's how I, how I became, you know, 15 years ago when I saw reruns on YouTube and I was like, wow, this guy's doing some really interesting stuff um, with really calling out this exploitation of children and you know he delves deeper into it now with like the the world of tiktok and video games and things of that nature so a shout out to him as well but he's a, you know very seasoned journalist obviously years with dateline you know 30 40 years he's been doing this but um he's great too so predators i caught is his podcast there is something about just uh, I'm, i find myself thinking about just my experience working in news and you know, listening to the scanners, hearing this awful thing happening, going in the middle of the night, wherever it is, camera rolling in probably in likely dangerous situations a lot of the time to just record the trauma and then get it on the news the next day and have the exclusive and have this and or like get the exclusive interview here or there. And there was always a part of me that never felt entirely right about it. Like it felt exploitive. And it's just, it, it's what, where is the line between public information and exploiting people? And it just, it's, it's an icky place. There's an uncomfortable, like 
I don't know. I feel like my rule as a journalist was always be a human first still is. <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> but it just like, it, I, there really is a fine line here, whether there's, whether you're a journalism, a journalism, whether you're a journalist, whether you're a podcaster, whether you are hosting a convention about true crime, like to find a way to find a good balance in telling stories, but also supporting survivors in a way that is not exploitive of their pain and their trauma. And cause there is so much of it out there. Um, that, yeah, I really appreciate and you I, guys. And I sharing. think you could also, I think you could also like, you know, so, you know, I guess when people are you know, talking about my situation or whatever, you know, imagine, imagine you're 12 years old and you or you're 11 years old and you hear this and you're, and you lose your mother and you're confronted with this monster. I think when they put things into contents, like imagine when you're this person, I always appreciate that. Like, instead of like this happened to them and this, when they add that element, that just those little words of like, now put yourself in their shoes. Like when they start off talking about someone's story, you know, put yourself into their shoes for a second. You're 11 years old. You've just lost your, your mother is missing. You know that your father did it and you're living in a very dangerous situation. And you know that you need to tell the truth. You just found a picture of this house and you don't know, and you're talking to this detective behind your father's back. Like when they put those things and you kind of really put the audience in that, in that sort of driver's seat or in that, Oh my God, like that's, they picture in their head, like, Oh, I, it adds that compassionate element. So I always feel like that's a good thing too. imagine being confronted in a garage, you know, and by your mother's uh, uh, husband who is just, who has vengeance out. He has a knife in his hand. Imagine being abducted right off your city street and you wake up and you escape with your life and then you leave. And once you get out, you discover he killed people. Like imagine dealing with that trauma he was a serial killer. I mean, those are things that when I think if they if they put that in context and try to put the audience in your or in our shoes that really really helps ease the blow yeah <laughs> i suppose i think you nailed it though i mean like to to wrap it up it's like make it victim or survivor centric right how often do we yeah. see these stories in media and it's you know for instance i will say our local media has done a great job recently we just had over the weekend unfortunately we had an officer involved shooting and all the media coverage was about the officer. It was not about the offender because most often when we see these things, what do you see? You see the mugshot, right? Yeah. As opposed yeah. to a victim or a survivor centric narrative, right? Like that's, that's how you do it right. You talk about it from, from their perspective. You don't focus on the offender. Who cares about them, right? Like. I know people want to try to understand why did this happen? How could someone get there? But it's that victim survivor centric narrative. And that's, you know, I just sorry to just continue. No, 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 please. But that was, that was absolutely <laughs> the one, that was absolutely the one thing that when I moved to Hollywood and I was pitching this story of like, I wanted to do a docuseries. I don't know how this is, but like, I own the rights to the pilot. It's my life. My obsession was like, look, and this is what I told my producer, John Morrissey, who had done American History X 10 years prior, who I was pitching this on. And we got Barbara Koppel, who's won two Academy Awards and all these things happened. ID came on, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that I said is, you know, at that time, this wasn't, it's very in vogue right now to be compassionate and to be empathetic and to want to have this survivor. Like that's what's happened. 10, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't look at it that way. And my thing that always drove me from 11 years on 
till now <laughs> and then to make that film was it was bad you know victim is dead bad guy goes to jail gavel hits state gets his restitution we say next that's it that's mm -hmm. judge and jury, boom, done. And we never look at the ramifications, the consequences of violence, the ramifications on, on secondary victims, ancillary victims, yes. non-combat PTSD, um, the, the communities that are involved in these things. And it's nice to hear what you just said, where the focus was not on the, not solely on the perpetrator, but it was on the person who was perpetrated, on the victim, yes. their families, what was left behind, what were they doing with their lives? And, there, and, 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 and that's something that I have to salute our, our, our the acumen of today's journalist is really going is skewing towards that that narrative instead of instead of the 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 tabloid style of the uh, oh these shot up and this and oh, guns and ah oh, terror and the things that you know our, our brand is chaos you know sort of narrative that that has sort of suited these types of cases over the last several decades right it's now about the compassionate element this is what was left behind. This is the collateral damage. Let's look at this. Because I always think that that's the best thing. That's what my film I was like, that's the best thing to prevent these types of things is you show the collateral damage. If you can give pause, you don't have to just get them stopped. If they give pause, they're like, oh, okay, I see how Collier was affected. I see how Car was affected. I see how Tyra was affected. I, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm gonna rethink what I'm doing or my approach to this. Like, I don't need to kill my wife. Maybe I'll just get a divorce or I don't need to be this person. Let me just take a moment and breathe before I pull this rifle out in front of a school. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, I, 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 I might be altruistic in that sort of sentiment, but I think it really does give people pause, even if it's only for a split second. It might be split second enough to prevent a, a, because they go, okay, I don't want to go to jail. What's going to happen to my kid when I go to prison for murdering somebody? What is this? Like, what are the ramifications? Just take that half a second. That might change the whole game. Yeah. Someone who's logical will go to that. And someone who's illogical sure. might not, you know? Sure. And that's where we know who needs to go away and who doesn't. Very true. Yeah. I love that you hit on like the secondary victim aspect as well, because that's also important. And that like, I know my documentary, that was something that we did focus a lot on is like all of these secondary victims, which is still a very valid um, trauma, right? Like still focusing on them as having had a trauma and how can we support those people as well? Like, it's just, it, I think that can be um, forgotten as well. When I watched your documentary, I thought it was really cool that like you included your ex-boyfriend yeah. And that he was like talking about what it was like to even date you because it's like, you don't realize that when the person comes back, that person's changed. That person's brain is completely different now. Yeah. So I like that. I really like that. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to have to watch it. <laughs> I'm excited. Yes, please do. <laughs> Let yeah, me know what you I'm gonna watch it before I go to CrimeCon. <laughs> uh, okay. I'll be streaming it. Uh, so speaking of what, so what is the documentary called? It's Escaping Captivity, the Kara Robinson story, and it aired on Oxygen. So, is that available on, for streaming? Yes, it should be. It's available on NBC Universal, Oxygen, Hulu. I think Hulu and um, YouTube. It's available both of those places as paid. It's probably on Amazon as well. Fantastic. 
I um I really enjoy your TikTok, Kara. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I found myself just scrolling through it last night. And I do wanna there was something that you shared that just I felt in my heart, and it was about forgiveness and how you know what, you just don't have to do it and you can still heal. <laughs> which is yeah. which is an interesting take because I've heard, you know. Forgiveness is a gift that you give yourself. And I, I've heard this and, and I've like listened to that and in the, in the past. And I mean, there's so many thoughts about forgiveness, but I love this idea. <laughs> Maybe this is just like me projecting, but I love this idea. It's like, hey, you don't have to forgive and you can still heal. So, yeah. I mean, I think. Cool. Yeah, I think that um, very often society can be caught up in this toxic po positivity, right? This good vibes only, you have to forgive to heal. And I mean, re in reality, you don't owe that person anything. I mean, I don't harbor any hard feelings towards matter. He's no longer alive though. So I don't even have to consider thinking about him, but I have plenty of friends who have been victimized and are, you know, currently being re-traumatized by having to go back to court or different things and they can't forgive and they don't want to. And you know what? They don't have to. If you can find healing outside of forgiveness, good for you. Who cares about that person? You don't have to let that person take anything else from you. And if it is too hard for you to forgive, then move on. <laughs> it's just such a refreshing perspective. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and like in the good vibes only, all those things, it's like, I mean, it's just so unrealistic. Like we are all humans and none of us are perfect. And if forgiveness is not within you and good vibes only is not within you, then <laughs> okay, cool. Good for you. I'm going to die. I'm going to die every time I see that now. You change that. I mean, like, what does that even mean? Good vibes only. Like, right. So we're not allowed to, to have bad like, days. I was like, I was like, so how, do, I was like, what fantasy, I, cause I see that, and like, you know, good vibes only, bro. I'm like, do you like, have you ever been through any bullshit, dude? Like, have you ever <laughs> right. like been through some real fucking shit? Right. Sorry, I Obviously curse on my not. program a lot. No, it's okay. Um, it's okay. Uh, I'm just like, I mean, have you like, are you core? Like, do you really understand like what you're, what you're throwing out there? Like, yeah, I know it was super easy to be raised in your middle-class household and have your supportive parents and family and a normal upbringing that doesn't like, I don't understand that. So don't sit here and say, Good vibes only, bro. I can't deal with anything else. Because like yeah. sometimes you get thrown into the fire and you got no choice. Maybe it's the dark humor, but like I, I resonate with that as well. <laughs> like my pet peeve is like this vibe that I see sometimes too, where it's like she she throws happiness like like confetti everywhere she goes. And I'm like, <laughs> How, like who is okay, Tara's like that. Okay, Tara, that, <laughs> you are always happy and sweet and lovely. I, I don't um, I don't know about that. Um, no, well, like there's, I'm a very positive person, but you know, there are days where I do tell people to, you know, F off and um, <laughs> I like honked at someone the other day just for coming close to me. And then I, well, I was like, I think that's a trauma response. Um, so I have to go to therapy and work on that one. But, you know, I do have those moments and I'm not all like, positive light and everything like when I was doing yoga teacher training I was the person that was seeing the darkest stuff <laughs> I was like seeing myself die over and over and over again and then everybody was like oh this is a great time and I'm like yeah no 
I don't feel that way. I'm going to go home and cry now. <laughs> but then you always come back and you come back with the mindset that you got this. You can you can do this. And I think that that's the important thing about being positive is knowing that you can do this, not letting your doubts affect you, but you have to feel everything and you have to process it and you have to feel that dark stuff in order to get to the light. hundred percent. That's the badge of honor too. That I think that is the biggest thing with the, when you look at the, um, the sort of true crime, uh, you know, obsession and the, the people that, are into these types of things. I think that like, you can talk about it all you want, bro, but you don't have that. You, you're not part of that club. <laughs> you're not, you don't have that badge of honor where you're like, I got, I earned my stripes, you know, like huh, I got them, you know? And I think that's always something you got to hold dear, even no matter what people are exploiting around you, you go, Hey, you know what? <laughs> let's see you. Let's see what happens when you, the shit hits the fan, how you are. Cause yeah. You're, you're mad because your nail got chipped and had the blood splatter on it. <laughs> uh, before you <laughs> can somebody digging up your mother on. in a basement. <laughs> right. Um, Anyways. Something that. Seems dark. It went dark and I know. No, I get it. No. <laughs> Listen, if you want to talk about dark humor, I, so as an aside, a fun little story when I realized how dark my humor actually is. Um, I have a friend and she was talking to me about, oh, I have, um, you know, student loans. I'm still paying my student loans off and I'm, you know, 36 years old. And I was like, yeah, I don't have any. She was like, how did you manage that? And I was like, oh, so I got kidnapped by a serial killer and I got a whole lot of reward money and it paid for my college. And she was like, oh, so run towards the van that says free candy. Got it. And I was like, yeah, it's a foolproof plan, free college. <laughs> and I was like, oh wait, this is really dark humor. Okay, cool. cool. That's great though. I love that. Yeah. I love that that happened. That's amazing. That's... Yeah. So you, you uh, well, I'm gonna interview. So this is actually a really like good thing I think about these true crime conventions is you do find your people. Um, whether they are survivors or if they enjoy, am I glitching? Are y'all hearing that? Um, Maybe a little. Okay. Um, Maybe. I still hold the title of the worst audio problem. So <laughs> yes. Did you see my child? Um, anyway. No, we didn't. We just saw your, your ring light. We just saw your reaction. The, the ring light falling, the whole thing. It was. Great. Oh my word. Um, yes. He, anyway. Um, but what I was sharing is, so if you're someone who has dark humor, you'll find your dark humor friends or not. <laughs> like you'll find, like, there's a good chance you might find your people. And I feel that way being here with you guys. I don't have the same kind of trauma story to share. Um, but as a reporter who covered trauma, secondhand every day for 10 years, I developed a pretty dark sense of humor. And, and I, I, so I feel like I'm, you know, with my, my people, Asher, do that you want to stand you up? Cred. That gives Thank you street you. cred, you know, that gives you street cred. <laughs> you know, you're the yeah, nightcrawler, I mean, you're nightcrawler minus Jake Gyllenhaal. Gosh, the stories I could share with you, I'm not going to right now. Asher, no, I'm sorry, guys. He came back. You want to <laughs> he's a spider-man right underneath me um collier i i know how you like to um usually wrap up your show with a positive note is there one that we can share with 
winners today? Well, I think we did, but I, I also think that we did. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I think just under, you know, I, I think approaching people like ourselves with compassion, with understanding, but also just, just, just allowing us to be the people that we are and not try to put us in this box of like, oh, they're this crime victim or, oh, they're this, and this is why they're an interesting person. Maybe just a moment ago, it's like there's a, there's this thing in sales and it's, and I remember hearing this, it's like, if you want to get to know someone, you ask about their kids. You know, if you're really not trying to be a salesperson, there's many people that just like, don't like, don't come with the agenda of like, Hey, Oh, I'm really interested in that. Like, Hey, what did you do last weekend? Hey, what are you into? You know, it's just that little bit of humanization because we are real authentic people. All three of us or all four of us, you know, coming to us in that way of just understanding that we are not the crime that we <laughs> represent or that we, we're a part of or involved in by not by our own choice, by the way, <laughs> um, that just, just, just come at us like that. You know, I feel, I feel that's a good way to do it. And, but I, I mean, look, all of us are here. We're all functioning adults, which should be a testament to, you know, my story, Kara's story, Tara's story is that you can make it through these really extraordinary circumstances and come out the other side fairly unscathed, maybe a little sardonic and jaded, but you know, hey, you'll be all right. Yeah, I, I struggled. I was like, did we just sit here and complain for an hour? And I was like, no, no, we said a right. lot of good things too. But, we said a lot of good <laughs> but I mean, yeah, we are complex, three-dimensional humans. We're not these two-dimensional. And I think we're doing these kind of things because we enjoy meeting people. We enjoy inspiring people and inspiring conversations. Yes. Right. Yes. So um, remembering, remembering that and, and just being willing to learn. Yeah. Well, and I want to say, you know, without the people that are obsessed with true crime and stuff, our stories wouldn't be out there and there wouldn't be this awareness for people to know about and to get out of this toxic relationship relationship you know in my case or to be aware of how not to um be kidnapped or just to be you know with your case that was so complicated but like just to look at it and find little things that like help other people you know and I think with you and I it helped us being fighters and getting into that fight or flight mode and that helped save our lives so much and just teaching people that, hey, you have to get to this reaction to save yourself sometimes. Yeah, and that it's within all of us, right? Like it's not something that we necessarily chose. Like your body automatically responds in a way that will help you survive. Yeah, they say they say people, you know, people that have been through these, you know, faced seemingly insurmountable odds and, and, and gone through these extraordinary circumstances oftentimes have a, fl a fire that burns inside that is almost impossible to extinguish. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all three of us. I, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, on that note, uh, what do you think, Christine O'Donnell? Well, it's been nice chatting with you guys. Thank you for bearing with me. I did want to shout out we have some people in the comments section. Asher, I need you to stop right now, honey. No, you can't It's not doing it by itself. Um, and we have Tina Preston who's sharing 
Um, a lot of really wonderful comments. She said, this is definitely an interesting and eye-opening conversation. Makes you think about the people who have gone through trauma more, for sure. Yeah. Faith writes, I think humor is a form of coping too. And um, Yuri says, hey, two faces I know. <laughs> so I did. I just wanted to take a minute just to, to thank the people who were listening. Um, and... Yeah, thank you guys all for coming together and being a part of this so last minute. Um, I think this was a really great conversation. This is fantastic. And then maybe, hopefully, uh, this will be saved on the channel. <laughs> Kara, um, Tara, always thank you so much. You have fun at Stagecoach this weekend. Uh, Kara, I can't wait to meet you in person. This is going to be great. Yes. And I now I, I have another now I have another party. <laughs> now we have and, um, <laughs> now there's more of us <laughs> and if you guys feel like facetiming me at um crime con oh yeah feel free <laughs> yes i will totally we will do, that. do that we will do that um so on that note uh i'm collier landry this our guest host today was the wonderful christina o'donnell from right sided network i'm collier landry and this is moving past murder thanks y'all This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.